Welcome back, everybody. This is Dan, and so glad to have you back with us. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on your favorite uh, podcast channel, uh, thanks so much for all your feedback. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback recently about um, how this podcast is inspiring you, encouraging you, teaching you, bringing some best practices, next practices around leadership. And again, as I always say, it's never about me. It's about these amazing guests. And today is no different. We have a really special guest today. Her company is Zoetis, which is the world's leading animal health company. And they have a singular focus. And that's to nurture our world and humankind by advancing care for animals. Big, bold agenda. This is a Fortune 500 company with a global footprint and more than $8 billion revenue annually. Pretty impressive. Joining me today is Wafa Mamili, who is both the Chief Digital Tech and Technology Officer for the company, and recently she took on P&L responsibilities as Group President of China, Brazil, and Precision Animal Products. So welcome to you, Wafa. Great to have you here. And maybe we'll start off by having you talk about your new P&L accountabilities, which is really a day job on top of the day job. So Wafa, take it away. So it's a very good question you're asking. I've always aspired and looked at my role and behaved and showed up uh, and worked on my own capabilities to be a business leader that happens to have technology accountability. And this meant that uh, the way I was uh, preparing my skills, the way I was taking every job that I had, uh, tending to be in infrastructure, in cybersecurity, in commercial, wherever they are, on how does that connect to the customer? How does that connect to the business outcomes of the enterprise? And when you do that, uh, before you know it, you're a business leader because that's the mindset. There is a lot of mindsets out there. Uh, and I think that's in a nutshell what, what boards and what all companies, even in uh, management roles need. Uh, they need leaders who uh, can understand and continue to, to, to focus on the customer lens and try to make sure that they behave uh, and show up as enterprise leaders, enterprise thinkers. They bring their expertise of the field they're in. Mine happens to be tech digital analytics and all that what's around, and then serve that customer. So I think that that's in a nutshell uh, why uh, the criticality of that, what gets the call from a board seat or what gets the call for uh, from a PNL. Uh, and I'm I'm amazingly excited and energized, as a matter of fact, with uh, the PNL role that I have now because I, I really like to. Uh, I'm enjoying. It's been a few months, as you know, since November uh, of last year. I've been, I'm enjoying just to look at it from the end to end about how do you, uh, with your teams, how can you shape uh, and influence the different components of that PNL. And when I say your teams, they're never just your team, and that's that's something I always liked in all my jobs. It's all the cross-functional nature of what you do internally inside your company, as well as outside of the company, the partners who help you shape and get to the relevant outcomes that you have to get into uh, as a company. That's a great, that's a great lead in. And, you know, you're also on the board of Pfizer, which is a, uh, what you call them, a fintech financial services, so different industry. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe a two-part question, why are we seeing more tech leaders um, on boards, invited to boards, and will that continue? And and for those who are Aspire, you know, what's the secret sauce? How do you get on that on that first board? 
Yeah, I think we are definitely seeing uh, more tech leaders on uh, being called on, on boards. And I would say first, they happen to most of the time, if not always be, again, those tech leaders that have that business mindset. If you're just a tech leader, I think it's a little harder uh, to be, to be uh, on many of those calls. Uh, the reason why is I don't think there is any single company uh, or industry uh, that's not going through some transformation or disruption that has gone through or going through or will soon. And technology happens to always be one of those enablers or disruptors. So it could be data, data enablement, it could be analytics, it's in fact all of the above, it could be digitization of processes as simple as that. But technology is just everywhere. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer. I know sometimes in the past we hear some leaders say every company is a tech company. I don't, that's not what I believe. Every company is a company focused on the business they're in. But technology is critical and important. Technology enablement, technology uh, value creation with digital analytics and all of the, those components is critical in making and disrupting and transforming the company. So it's as simple as that. So Wafa, take us back to 2019. Uh, you're cranking on this amazing career at Eli Lilly and you get the call. Uh, so just curious, did you know Zoetis before they called and what was it that made you leave that amazing company? Oh my God. Uh, Great question. You're bringing me some uh, flashback memories here. Uh, you know, you have that time where it's before and then after. Uh, so I got the call and I, I was happy, as you said. I was fulfilled, well-sponsored, uh, had fun at Eli Lilly for 24 years. And during those, those years, I grew up in the company. So I, I joined in France, got the opportunity to move to the UK, then came to the US and worked in a variety of roles from R&D, manufacturing, commercial technology, cybersecurity, you name it. So I, I was really fulfilled and I had a fast pace in, in learning and growing and making an impact. And then I got the call and I don't pick up and I don't pick up and I don't pick up. And if it wasn't for an insisting amazing recruiter who became a dear friend since then uh, and a phenomenal uh, woman friend who's herself executive and very seasoned who called me out, called me in, said, Wafa, what are you doing? You owe to take some calls and you need to take this one. Then I listened and I did not know who Zoetis was. I had no idea. Uh, and I took the call and I liked the way the recruiter described the company, the culture, what they're trying to look for. And then I did some research that night by myself. And then on a Tuesday morning, I am uh, in the first conversation between HR, then, then the CEO. And, and, and from a time where I didn't want to talk to anyone, that was Monday evening and then Tuesday morning, I'm talking to someone. I fell in love. And then the full love story is between Tuesday to Saturday morning of the same week where I have an offer in my hands. And I fell in love for a few reasons. I fell in love with the culture of the company, the purpose. That's important to me. It spoke to my heart. It's all the same purpose as Lily. So we're in nurturing uh, the, the humankind and, and helping in animal health. So that spoke to me really easily. And then after that, I fell in love with, really with the people and the vibe I felt uh, from every single person I talked to during those days. Uh, I clicked extremely well with uh, with our CEO, Christine Peck, and who has the privilege of uh, working with uh, a woman CEO and let alone a woman CEO as talented and empowering and, 
and digitally savvy herself uh, as Christine. Uh, and then after that, with the head of HR, the head of R&D, the CFO, every single person I talked to had that passion, uh, that uh, connection to the purpose of the company, that care for the other teams. And I, I just very quickly, you know, sometimes you just feel it's the right place, it's the right move. And uh, at that time, of course, I still had no idea I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, I'm going to make a decision to, to leave the company. But again, it took from Tuesday morning to a trip Friday uh, to New Jersey office, uh, fairly lobbied more, got to meet more people. And then Saturday had the offer and then I had to manage through uh, the rest of it. And looking back at it, I'm grateful for the career and the opportunities I had at Eli Lilly. They made me who I am right now. Uh, they're still friends and family to me. Uh, many of them remain and will remain forever. And I'm so grateful that this is the decision I made. I never regretted it. And I'm I'm having fun. I've been having fun. It's been a really uh, amazing ride since I joined. But that's that's a simple, almost love story from no, no, no to yes in a few days. Some rich learning right there, right? And on behalf of all my, all my executive recruiter friends, you know, it doesn't hurt to take the call, right? Just to exactly. learn, you never know. And maybe you can help somebody else. But in this case, and you mentioned, Kristen Beck, your CEO, she is so impressive. You know, listen to her on Investor Day, and we'll talk about your partnership with her here in a little bit. But I want to take you back even further. Take us back to Wafa growing up. Your personal story is pretty inspiring, Wafa. Can you share some of the the, the background there? Yeah, great, Dan. Well, thank you. Uh, my story started in Morocco as uh, a little girl. Uh, in Casablanca, uh, that's where I grew up, uh, in, in a very humble family. So my, my family were very modest, very humble, uh, but I was very lucky to have a dad and a mom who gave a lot of importance to education. So education, my dad and my mom used to tell us education was the mean by which we were gonna get out of poverty. So we had more books at home than anyone can imagine, even if we didn't, we couldn't buy as many as we wanted. We had library cards. We used to read, we used to read newspaper. Uh, my dad was a fan of, of French and none of them graduated even high school, as a matter of fact, but they were very uh, big learners and, and the, the, the mom read in Arabic, my dad read in French and in Morocco at that time, when you buy things from the grocery store, they wrap your things in newspaper. And we would take the newspaper at home, which happens to be to be French, and we would unwrap it and read it. And and my dad would make sure that whatever is around us, we we read. So we we grew up with that curiosity, the intellectual curiosity, the the, the thirst for learning and for education. So I graduate high school, go to a different city to do to study in, in Morocco. Girls at that time didn't go. So I'm lucky that uh, my parents were uh, supportive in that way of girls as much as of boys. And I went, I did computer science engineering in a different city in Morocco. And then after that, went to France to uh, do my master's with an intent. I'm going to get my master's in computer science and come back home. I was miserable. I was going to come home and have a good life. And I, I went, in fact, from Morocco to, to France. It gives you a little bit about my personality as well. Uh, I rode a train. So I'm 21 years old now, uh, computer science engineer, first trip outside of Morocco. Uh, we're now in 88, 89. And I rode a train to go from Casablanca to Rennes, which is Brittany, uh, northwest of France. 
that's something like two days and something trip. And of course, train, it's a boat, then train, then a bus to get to the university. I knew no one in France. I had no family. Uh, I didn't even know where I'm going to go. And I'm not going with tons of money. So I've always been uh, this kind of risk taker. It's, uh, I think my parents injected in me that confidence. I've always been a rebel. I'm the one, I was the one in the family who asked uh, the maximum amount of questions uh and 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 kind of uh, challenge a lot of people around me and sometimes i got myself in trouble uh, because of that but still my dad uh, and especially my dad kind of inserted in me that confidence with humility so you never know enough and at the same time you stand your ground and you you express your opinion and you say things so I went to france studied and then met my husband there, as I finished, uh, was in fact dreaming uh, of my goal was to buy a car, work two years in Paris, buy a car and get back home. And of course, it again, tells you again, the lesson there, it's I wasn't dreaming big. I didn't even know how to dream big or what I could dream big. I come from a very modest, simple family. At that time, I'm already making three times, four times more than my two parents combined would make. Uh, and of course, since then, I bought so many cars, built more dreams as well than buying a car. Uh, but I never went back to work in Morocco. In fact, I still have ties there. I go there to visit often. Uh, I'm grateful for everything I learned there and the values that were injected in me. Uh, never went back to Morocco, met my husband in Paris. My kids are born in Paris. And I after that, I wanted a global career. And I that's what I got between consulting. Then after that, Eli Lilly. And the rest is history. So it's almost like I'm just a risk taker. Whatever you give me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and do the best I can at it. And if I fail, it's fine because you know I I was dreaming of buying a car. So if I fail, I'm still gonna do better than buying a car. And then I just go to to the next thing. So that's an attitude. It's a mindset. I'm a mindset really a believer in mindset and what to do to take. So that's that's my other uh, mindset there. Really inspiring. I mean, all those barriers you broke down, you know, just reaching out beyond a comfort zone. Although it sounds like you took a lot to make you uncomfortable, uh, even as a, a young a young woman. And to go off to uh, to Paris like that on your own, just just I can't even imagine from from where you came from. You know, your company's interesting to me. It's Zoetis, spelled Z O E T I S. I should have said that at the beginning. And so it starts with Zoe, Z O E which I want to give a shout out to my little four-year-old granddaughter named Zoe. And so I know the answer to this question, but what is the significance of Zoe and your company name? Such a beautiful name, Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Uh, well, so what it is, as you said, the, the root is zoo. So it's derived from, uh, it's meaning pertaining to life. And it's it implies our company's dedication to supporting the veterinarians and livestock producers and pet care owners who raise and care for either farm or companion animals on which we all depend. So that's that's the meaning behind Zoetis. Pretty special. So let's zoom out a little bit on the macro picture now, Wafa. And animal health as an industry, it's a $45 billion industry. So incredible opportunity for your company. You're north of $8 billion this year. So pet ownership, what we spend on our pets went up considerably during the pandemic, which is an interesting uh, macro trend. So maybe talk about how you as a company are reimagining animal health. Yeah, we, we're privileged to be in an amazing industry uh, here that's uh, dynamic and, and resilient at the same time. So 
Also, it is we're about nurturing the world and humankind by advancing animal care. And just to give context, we make medicines, vaccines, diagnostics, and technologies. And we serve, as I said earlier, veterinarians, livestock far farmers, and pet owners. And back to what you just said about, uh, about pet owners, uh, we, we ran some studies and some fascinating numbers. 86% uh, of pet owners say they would continue to spend whatever it takes for the health of their pets. And if you were, we asked them, if we were to decrease, to give a 20% decrease on budgets, what would they touch? And across all the markets we're in, they will not touch the care for their pets. So it's just fascinating uh, numbers uh, to, that speak to that dedication and to that human bond that we see. So at Zoetis, we reimagine animal health by focusing on, I would say, five strategic priorities. The first and foremost is innovation. So innovation is the lifeblood of what we do. And to give you an example, we have some, we have about 15 blockbuster products. And that means each has over $100 million of annual sales. 15 blockbusters, that's 15, amazing. 15, Wow. But more than that, that represents one third of the blockbusters in the industry. So it just tells you how much innovative we are and how much of a market leader we are. I like to say that we are as well market making. We are domains making. So we, we, we invented and created and solved and met needs in dermatology, parasiticide, and currently on a new category for arthritis pain with monoclonal antibodies and with new innovation as well in vector vaccines in livestock. In 22 alone, 2022 alone, listen to this time, we achieved 200 approvals, 200 approvals, new product innovation or life cycle enhancements or geographic expansions. 200, it tells you about, again, the innovation, the pace and the velocity we have in these domains. So that, that's the first one, driving uh, innovation. The second one is enhancing our customer experience. I talked about the diversity of our, of our customers uh, that we have, and we want to make sure that in whatever we do, we enhance the customer experience in their service to make sure that we keep animals healthy and, and productive. And that's, I do have that responsibility as well for global customer experience across the enterprise. That's part of my expansion of responsibilities to make sure that I work with all the colleagues, everyone at Zoetis owns and impacts customer experience to make sure that we serve those customers in the best way we can. The third pillar is, uh, and priority is very close to my heart, of course, that's lead in data and digital, digital and data analytics. So I'm sure we'll double click on this one specifically of the work, the great work we're doing there, both on our core operations as well as our products and services we have in the marketplace. Next one is cultivate a high-performing organization. This is core to what attracted me to Zoetis. Zoetis has one of our values, uh, we call them core leaps, is our colleagues make the difference. And you feel it in every conversation. That's definitely something I felt as I talked about the interviews I had during those few days of family love. And I'm proud that we have been recognized as top employer in different markets around the world. 
Next one is important. We want to do good and we want to do, uh, we want to be good and do good. So it's champion a healthier, more sustainable future. This includes the work we're doing aligned with the purpose in combating diseases uh, against the risks posed to animals, as well as providing disaster relief when we see uh, things that happen around the world to the veterinarians or to the animals they, they care for. So it's by aligning to these five strategic priorities across the enterprise in an intentional and agile and a fast-moving pace that we deliver on that reimagining animal health and we keep on just redefining what's, what's the next innovation way before uh, even our customers sometimes know they need that innovation. Yeah, those 200 uh, successes speak well for a future too. That's That's exciting. And having ownership of the customer experience, when you wake up in the morning, who is the customer? Like, who do you think of as the customer? Yeah, it's uh, it's the veterinarian. Uh, they're they're the prescribers, and they're the ones who get to see the animals firsthand. It's the live the livestock farmers. Uh, they can be they're they're on the farm. They care for their animals, and they can be they can have swine, they can have uh, cattle, uh, dairy, beef, or dairy. Uh, and they're definitely the pet owners as well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there is that bond, human bond. That I don't know, Dan, do you, do you own a pet? I do. I have a little Bernie Doodle named Bailey. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you can relate. I, I have a golden doodle myself, and you can relate to that human bond. They're family members and their family, not just the, in every culture, in fact. And I was amazed even visiting Morocco uh, last summer, uh, where in the past, when I was a kid, dogs were supposed to be uh, outside uh, guarding the houses. Now you have that human bond as well, and you have uh, dogs invited to the couches as well uh, inside the house, and of course, cats and birds and and snakes and, and you name it. So uh, for us, all those are customers from the vets to livestock farmers uh, to uh, the pet owners themselves. Yeah. Now you have, with your dual role as a P&L owner and chief technology and, and innovation uh, responsibilities, what does digital and data analytics, you said you want to lead in that space. I'm sure everyone on the Tech Whispers audience, their ears perked up when you said that as one of the five pillars. So what does that look like in your world? Yeah, and, and, that, and that's important. Having that as a five pillar in the strategy helps in driving the agenda. So we, I would call out two major components or two, the way we, we would look at this kind of in two ways. The first one is turn every single corner of the company and our business operations from R&D to manufacturing to all the enabling functions to commercial uh, to the technology functions itself and making sure that we embed technology, analytics, and which must form the way we do business and the way we operate even internally. So that's the core operations. In parallel to that, it's explore every opportunity we can and we have to create revenue and generate revenue with digital and with analytics. So in, I'll give you a few examples of that. In 2022, we acquired a digital, we acquired baseballs. Uh, last in fact, last year to provide veterinarians and pet owners with key genetic information so that they can better understand their pets' diseases. We acquired another uh, digital instruments business this time, New Metrica. So when we acquire these businesses, we integrate them, and then their new digital revenue, digital sources or, or new sources of revenue through digital. 
Uh, a third example, we deployed an AI-driven diagnostic platform that uh, features applications such as digital cytology and blood smear testing using artificial intelligence against images of fecal samples, and that image gets uploaded in the cloud, analyzed with AI algorithms, and then the diagnostics with a picture comes back to the vets in less than 15 minutes, and then the pet owner can have a question, can have a picture with that, which then drives number one, they, they're gonna get the medication on, on the go then, so adherence becomes better. They see a picture, adherence becomes better as well with that. So every single time we can use digital analytics to deploy new, gener new generation, we do that. Uh, an example, to give you an example of the core, uh, what we do on the core is, uh, uh, we, uh, we we deploy the solution that digitally enable our sales force. So all our customer facing roles in markets, we started doing it in the US and then we deployed since then to Japan, Australia, Canada, and in the process of deploying to other markets where our sales force have a better understanding of their customers, their next best actions. And we put all the data at their fingers with insights of how can they engage better and deliver better value to those customers. So we, we, we have a platform play, I would say, in leading digital and data. We start with what are the, the, the use cases, the value story we want to deliver. And then whatever we do, we're building these platforms, our digital and our data platforms, use case by use case. And then that's how we're scaling across the enterprise. Well, I think people are starting to understand how you are a business first leader. You are a customer first leader. You're also a people first leader. You talked about high performing uh, teams, organizations. One of your values I really appreciate, and I wonder how you do this at an $8 billion company, but the whole idea of run it like you own it. What does that look like in, a, in an international corporation like Zoetis? Yeah, it's 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 one of uh, the most amazing, and I think it's what makes us have this, this vibe about culture of agility, flexibility, caring for each other, and alignment to the purpose. Uh, run it like you own it is something that we we have to remind ourselves of every day, from the executive team to all the teams on the ground. It's when you see it, you call it. Uh, I would see, I would say, uh, Zoetis is is a company that runs with. Uh, uh, non-attention to hierarchy. So you can have a session where we're focusing on a topic and you can have from the CEO to down in the org and cross-functional teams of different levels working working a topic. It's a culture of empowerment as well. So uh, we challenge ourselves to make sure that decisions are made at the lowest level of the organization. Uh, a culture of transparency uh, goes with that as well. Uh, and, and a culture of as well forgiving when Mistakes are made. We learn from them in their failures. We learn from them. Uh, we advance. Of course, compliance is non-negotiable. We don't uh, we don't uh, allow for those, or we put systems so that we don't allow for those. But everything else after that is cross-functional, working across different levels, and and it's something that we have to remind ourselves of as we're scaling more as a company, as we're growing. We pay we pay a lot of attention to maintaining that uh, culture of agility and speed uh, that we have across the enterprise. That's really exciting. And, you know, culture starts at the top, right? And you, we've, we referenced uh, Kristen Peck earlier, your CEO, your, the partnership there. I'd love to have you talk about what makes Kristen so special. And, you know, one of the things that, that really struck me is uh, your amazing communications partner, Lauren Talley, shared with me a video where it interviewed you and Kristen. 
And if you didn't know who was who, you wouldn't know who was the digital officer, who was the executive officer. You both were so fluent in both directions. I was just very, uh, I, I watched it twice. I was so impressed. But talk about Kristen and your partnership there. Yeah, I I, I think it's something that uh, that I'm I'm so uh, grateful. Really, it's it's uh, it's maybe the reason I'm having the most fun in my job, uh, and uh, and my energy is every day to the highest level possible because of that relationship. Uh, I think first, uh, Kristen is. Uh, a leader with lots of empathy and uh, the human side uh, of the leader is something you feel and you perceive in Christine from the minute you meet her. And she was like that way before COVID. Since COVID, that became the new thing. But remember, I knew her a little bit before COVID. So she's just that type of human leader and empathic leader. Uh, she's as well uh, very empowering. So that's, again, the leadership style is, is very direct, very empowering, uh, an amazing uh, listener and, and motivator. And she's herself a learner. She's herself uh, digitally savvy. And I don't think I know of any other CEO who didn't come from the technology uh, background who took on her. She, so we launched a digital fluency program across the enterprise and we have in that program a platform where people can learn, they can decide what's in their development plan. And we have as well a data science forum across the enterprise where people join in to learn and explore data science. Well, number one, she attends most of those data science forums and listens to the use cases and, and not just listens, interacts and asks questions and shows curiosity. And so how can you not have that championship and have that, that drives, that helps? And then the second, she took on her digital fluency program. Uh, we launched reverse mentors and she was the first one to raise her hand to have a reverse mentor. So when I launched this program, it was an MVP to say, what's going to happen? And she was the first one. Guess what? Most of the executive team and now their senior leaders are asking for reverse mentors. So she's been on that program for more than a year now. But the most uh, maybe amazing thing is she decided she was going to learn to code, software coding. So she, she took an, a reverse mentor and for a few months, I don't even know how she's doing that, but she is learning to code. And, and the point is we're not going to put her to code, of course, and that's not what she wants to do, but she wants to get to understand the in and out of a technology stack and the decisions that we make. And, and I applaud that. So it's a phenomenal example of, what the mindset we want. We want learners, we want curious people, we want people who put in energy and uh, and kind of align that to goals and, and go and, and learn new things. So I can't have a better partner partner uh, than, than, than she is. And I think it's because of her drive as well. And then after that, the rest is just work. When you have, you and I know this, when you have the, the, the landscape is ready, and, and after that, it's easier to work with the other executives, to partner, to, to make sure that we can drive the agenda. Uh, and uh, her partnership just means the world to me and has been instrumental and continues to be in everything we do. Well, great shout out to her and, and again, your partnership. And um, my good friend, Martha Heller, wrote an article recently on CI.com. It was titled, What is the CIO's Role Today? I'd recommend it. Go read it uh, if you haven't done it to our audience. But you were quoted along with Madhuri Andrews, uh, who was at Jacobs, uh, Sanjeev Sahu, John Hill, Irvin Bishop, some really amazing people. I, I think some of the best in the best. And in it, one of the quotes that you said was, my role is less about technology and more about finding the next area for revenue and value generation. 
Can you double click on that again? It goes back to your the mindset of a winner, right? Uh, absolutely. It's the reason I'm here. If I wanted to work in just a technology place, I would go to a different place. I'm here. I'm very clear on the business Zoetis in. So I'm here to make sure that Zoetis can create value, does create value for its customers, employees, and shareholders. And that's what got to, that's why I come to work every day. I happen to have technology acumen and I'm going to continue to work on it. But I, I want to emphasize one thing that I think in the technology functions, we started getting wrong in the past. And I, I used to say when I was at Eli Lilly during a few years, we have to bring the T back to IT because we had that, that kind of moving to the other extreme where we, we started telling our technology leaders, you have to understand the business, you have to learn the business, all that stuff. But I saw some stopping to learn technology. And that's not what I'm saying. I study technology as much as I study business. Always, always, always. But I study business first, technology second. So I still have the expertise in technology, but I study business. And I want to make sure that I bring that business mindset. And then if I don't, if I don't bring that expertise either myself or through my network or through my team or through my partners, then... I'm not needed, then I become redundant inside the company. So that, that's important. I want to make sure that I emphasize that point in my mindset. So if it's not like I am not a technologist, I'm a proud technologist, but I'm a business leader first. It's like CFOs. They don't tell us, yeah, I'm not going to understand finance. I'm going to be a CFO. That's, of course, CFOs have to be very savvy in finance to be CFOs. Same for us, chief digital technology officers, CIDOs, whatever the role. You have to understand the business. We're creating value and we have to bring an expertise in our field. So good. So good. So one of the fun things we do in the, the show, as you know, is we have our, our, our mystery guests, our mystery questioners. So we have one from, uh, from your past who was very excited to submit this question. So let's listen in. Tell us who this is and, uh, and have fun with the question. Hi, Wafa. I hope you're doing well. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you. Uh, one of the distinctive traits that comes to my mind about you is your appetite for learning all the time. Learning new skills, learning through education, learning from new situations, and many others. I have seen you do this many times. It can take you out of your comfort zone, it makes you grow, and it, it's, it inspires others to do the same. Where does that thirst for learning come from? And how do you keep it up? Oh, my God. Caroline Safas. So Caroline was one of maybe the best, one of the best bosses I had. And when I was in France, uh, she gave me uh, to lead, in fact, the first virtual team that Eli Lilly had. I led that team uh, in Europe. And then she's the one who gave me the opportunity with someone else, another one of my sponsors, the opportunity to go to the UK and do amazing things there uh, and then come to the US after that. She sponsored me for that. Uh, I would say Caroline is one maybe who saw in me things before I saw them in myself, uh, who gave me that, that confidence. I vividly remember one of the conversations with Caroline where she came to... Uh, the French affiliate and sat down with me after giving me that virtual role and talked to me through how of an amazing job I was doing. And I didn't realize at that time I was doing such an amazing job. I was doubting <laughs> myself. So 
and and since then she 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 became a phenomenal phenomenal sponsor of mine and i learned tons from her uh, during my my years of working uh, for her directly uh, outstanding leader very intentional and the first one i learned from that business mindset with technology leadership so she definitely was was that and hugely empowering and amazing amazing development uh, developer of talents uh, such an amazing friend now. Well, uh, it's a good question. I mean, it comes back to my upbringing. Uh, I think I mentioned how I, I grew up in, uh, in a modest, humble family where, for one thing, we only had books. Remember, at that time in Morocco, there was there was a TV. The TV in our house at that time was still white and black. We couldn't afford the color one. And TV programs, there was one channel. Then a few years later, two channels. And TV started at 6 p.m., not before. And so there isn't much you can do. So we read a lot of books. And I was an avid, and I continue to be an avid reader. And, and it's that mindset from my parents where you can learn from everything and from everyone that's the other thing that that i learned very early uh, in my in my uh, uh, even life not just career is just to ask questions so i i ask a lot of questions all the time and i i'm not shy of telling people i don't know i i remember when i was uh voluntold to become the first CISO, chief information security officer at eli lily and i knew nothing about cybersecurity really uh i went to the best CISOs you can find, the Jim Ralph, the Terry Rice, Phil Van Abel, I mean, you name them. And I told them I knew nothing and they took me under their wings and they taught me. And I became a pretty good CISO very fast. And then I exposed to them my strategy. Here's what I'm about to do. Tell me what's wrong, challenge me. And they did. And I ended up having the best strategy that then I, I could implement. So I, it's that, uh, it's a mix of that confidence I am confident uh, and I'm bold and I'm a driver and I'm ambitious and all of that. And I tend to be humble uh, and not shy of saying, I don't know, asking questions and doing the hard work. Uh, and I don't fear. I think the non-fearing to fail comes from where I come from. Uh, I said I was dreaming of buying a car. So everything I had since then is a gift. Uh, and, and then over time you build uh, bigger dreams and but it's it's that upbringing uh, I think that got us got me that uh, that curiosity and that thirst of continuously learning and making an impact. That's so good and I understand you were quite an architect in your day too in my in my research and I have a question from uh, my friend Gita Pine who's the chief architect at Intuit representing a whole community of, of architects so she submitted a question for you specifically, and she, she asked, what was the journey from chief architect to CXO? How did you acquire an architecture mindset and experience, and how has that provided you an advantage in your C-level roles? And do you see this as a trend uh, going forward? Such an excellent question. Uh, I am by default and by design, I'm an architect in how I think. I think I can relate. I heard my friend Diana McKenzie say something about it It's uh, recently, and I'm, I'm like her. If I hadn't done any work on myself, I would be an architect, and I was pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at big picture, connecting dots, thinking about stuff between everything in my mind is conceptual and I'm drawing frameworks and stuff all the time in my head and on my paper. What I had to learn, and I think that was really, really important uh, through uh, different bosses, out of which Caroline herself, who asked the question earlier and many others I had since, I had to learn to become 
an execution person as well, an operational person. That's the skill I had to learn. So I built, I would say, I leveraged my skill of being an architect and it's helping me now and I'll come back to it in a minute. But I had to go to, go to different types of jobs to become an excellent operator. And it took me a lot of work to do that. It took me discipline, focus, coaching, mentoring uh, through the discipline of execution, the different frameworks, monitoring, having systems that now it became second nature. I don't think my, many people who work around me right now would think that I didn't know how to do this something like 20 years ago or something like that. I did not know and I didn't enjoy it, but I learned to do it well, and I learned to enjoy it. So as a CXO, you have to balance these two things of making sure that you can be an architect, a big thinker, and at the same time, you can get things done yourself and through the teams, uh, through focus and a discipline of execution. Uh, that's what I learned to become. Uh, I think being an architect is extremely important and because it's uh, it's that's how you're drawing the map, that's how you're connecting uh, the dots, especially in... Uh, any underlying capabilities of digital tech, analytics, data agendas, and, and things like that. You have to think like an architect where you're drawing, you're kind of conceptually designing, but then you have to be able to cut it in chunks. And that's maybe the challenge that we joke about the architects. They never know how to get things done. They don't know how to land on their feet. And so I see value in anyone who's in architecture. Make sure, at least in my experience, make sure that... Uh, you go, you get stuff done, you learn to operate, then maybe you come back to architecture, something like that. I wasn't smart. I wasn't the smart person who figured this out. In fact, it was my, my bosses. So Caroline gave me, as an example, an infrastructure job. I had to run an infrastructure team in Europe, managing the full infrastructure of all the affiliates of Eli Lilly outside of the U.S., mm. I could not stay at an architecture level. I had to go down with the network team and understand the data center design and go to things that I didn't enjoy. Did I love that job? No, because it was very infrastructure-y and that's just not me, but I'm grateful I did. I now can understand the interdependencies and I, I appreciate the criticality of operations way more than I did before getting that job. And then after that, I did manufacturing operations. When you get to understand what's that criticality of that uptime of, of the design of that network of uh, manufacturing, because if not, if it's not done well, then you collapse manufacturing insulin at that time for, for Eli Lilly. So it's bouncing between different, uh, different roles. So I would say my, my career was not a linear one. It wasn't one designed in a map where I knew exactly what I was doing. I didn't know, uh, but it was a career that almost by accident or by design by some of my bosses who knew more what I was doing and sponsors, where I ended up assembling different components of capabilities so that I can I can manage from strategy to execution to operations. And that's important. I think that's something that sometimes architecture, architecture teams lack. Uh, it's definitely uh, the joke we all have in companies around architecture. It's that back to that operational making things happen and operating them. So good. And Gita, so much, so much, uh, such great wisdom in that question and certainly the way you responded to it. And thank you, Caroline, for your enthusiasm of participating in this podcast. She was excited to be part of it and talked about your energy and your strategic thinking and your, your curiosity. So uh, these are great people. Well, a couple more questions here as we kind of wind it down. You know, one, I think you'll really appreciate combining your passion for learning 
uh, and also your passion for doing good. As you know, we've got our Tech for Good commitment, and we're donating again 100. It's actually 150 thousand dollars this year in scholarships to our Tech LX leadership program. And what we do on the show, uh, Wav, as you know, is we give you the ability to gift a seat in that program to somebody, uh, one of the nonprofits that you're you're involved in. So does somebody come to mind you'd like to gift that seat to? Yeah, fantastic. And thank you, Dan, for all you do. I've been listening to most of your podcasts and it's amazing to see the impact uh, to and the different organizations that you make through this uh, support. Uh, yeah, I would like to direct that to T200, so the fact technology 200. Uh, and, and I know, Dan, you know pretty well this organization. So it's an organization uh, that I, I take pride of. I'm on the board of the organization. Uh, I've been on it for a few years. And it's an organization about lifting women in technology. It's that simple. Uh, the journey uh, many of us had to a sea level uh, has been sometimes a tough road and a challenging road. And we want it to be easier on the women after us. And we want to see more women at the executive level and technology. So uh, it's an organization by us for us. Uh, as we're recording this episode, we are gearing uh, towards celebrating, as you know, Dan, International Women's Day in a few days uh, for in March uh, Eight, and we're going to be announcing and sharing the progress we've made. Extremely proud of the progress we've made as an organization, the impact we've made taking women to C-level uh, roles, to board roles. Uh, we created as well the T200 lift, which is the next generation. All women can join the T200 lift. And if you want to join, uh, go on t200.org and just join us there. Uh, and we're in the process of scaling up and uh, identifying partnerships to accelerate the journey. A lot of progress made and more yet to come. Ex exciting journey. Well, congratulations and thanks for the great work there. And it's, I know a number of the T200 members, leaders, it's, the who's, it's like a rock star list of people and um, female leaders. And as you say, it's a lot of intentionality, right? This doesn't happen by mistake. And so... Uh, I know Angela Yoakum talks about the T200 all the time. Mamtha, Jamardia, Stellantley, just some amazing people. You, Suja. So uh, great, great work there and keep keep it up. So um, we have a lot of work to do, but we're going to get there. We will. Thank you, Dan. And it's full support from you. So you, you just mentioned a few board members. We have Diane Schwartz as well. We have Diana McKenzie. So this is the board and uh, we call it our Sunday work and our Saturday and our evening. That's extremely exciting. And we have a lift generation who's very engaged as well. And we see lots of good, good momentum. And I think as this podcast goes live, uh, you'll have just announced a very new and significant partnership. So I want everyone to go t200.org, right? t200.org. Yeah. So go check that out and uh, good news there. So thanks so much. I mean, you're a PL leader, global responsibilities, doing these two big jobs, T200. Thank you so much for making time to be with us, Wafa. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate your time. We have a phenomenal uh, set of colleagues inside the company. I have phenomenal uh, teams and leaders all around and partners outside as well. Thank you, Dan, for the opportunity. And thank you for all you do for the community. Uh, you bet. And on behalf of all of us pet owners and all of our pets and livestock, keep up the good work, keep innovating, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll follow the story as it goes on. So thanks so much, Wafa. Thanks, Dan. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. 
If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.